So as you may have heard or seen in the weekly email, we are starting a new series this fall. It's going to take us all the way until Advent, right after uh, Thanksgiving. We're going to be in the Psalms of Ascent. That's Psalm number 120 through 135. We're not going to do all 15 of them, but John Mark and I are going to cover most of them. And to get you into the ideas of the Psalms of Ascent, I want to do a little mental game with you. I want you to, in your mind, I want you to imagine an old-fashioned caravan. I don't mean like, you know, a Dodge caravan. I mean like thinking like 2,000 years ago caravan, okay? I want you to see this train of people walking in the deserts of Israel, slowly ascending up the high road to Jerusalem, because for the most part, wherever you were in Israel, if you were going to go to Jerusalem, you had to go up. And so they journey up to worship God at the temple. And as they make this journey, they are singing. They are singing these 15 songs. And I want you to see all these children running around in this train, playing games as it slowly makes its way. And these children are, I want you to see the toddlers listening to the adults sing these songs. And as they get older, they learn these songs. And they, and they begin to sing these songs themselves. Now see in your mind Jesus Christ as a toddler going to Jerusalem learning these songs. See him as a young boy singing these songs. See him as a man with his disciples going to Jerusalem at least three times a year singing these songs. Songs about the road of faith. Songs about the journey of life with God. The land being in a place that we live and God has put us, but we really don't fit. And so we're constantly always mentally at least on a journey because this place is not our home. Because as Christians, we're pilgrims. Travelers heading to a location to worship. But things like mortgages and college planning and careers tend to anchor us very strongly in this world, don't they? makes having a pilgrim mindset very difficult. And they anchor us so profoundly to this world that we become settlers, actually, rather than the pilgrims we're called to be. But God has provided gifts to His church, and one of those gifts is the Psalms of Ascent. These 15 songs help us lift our hearts and our eyes back to the road, to the journey that we're supposed to be on, rather than settling here. And so we're going to spend between now and Christmas in these songs. That's the Psalms of Ascent. Let's zoom in on Psalm 120. Psalm 120 we're going to get to in just a second. The psalmist here is having some troubles. He's having some neighbor troubles, actually. And he first calls on God for help, and then he calls on God for judgment on his neighbors, and then he realizes that actually he should probably receive God's judgment and wrath. And so he turns back to God in repentance. This first psalm in the psalm of ascents is put there, I believe, because it's a crossroad psalm. It asks this question of God's people at the beginning of this journey. Are we going to walk the path up to a deeper relationship with God, with all the troubles and difficulties that that ascent's going to have? Or are we going to choose the path of our world and our culture, which tell us that this life is all there is? Are we going to be settlers or are we going to be pilgrims? That's the question of Psalm 120 starting us on this path of ascending. So if you would, would you please look with me at Psalm 120. This is God's Word. A song of ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. 
Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? What more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is God's word. So to help us understand where we're going to go today, I've got to do a quick vocabulary check for, since we have different ages in here. Everybody, or does anybody not know what trespassing is? Okay, you got, right, hunters, no trespassing means you're not allowed to walk across my land. You're not allowed to temporarily be in my land. Well, a long-term trespasser, you don't use this word very much anymore because it doesn't happen very much, but a long-term trespasser, someone who actually parks themselves on your land, maybe pitches a tent or even starts to park their RV or whatever on your land without permission, is no longer a trespasser. What's the word we use today? I know it's a squatter. That's right. We need to know that word squatter if we're going to understand where the Holy Spirit is going to take us today. Because I want to give you a, a theme sentence for this psalm. You can remember this and maybe over lunch today you can be talking about the sermon. Here is what this psalm is about. We're either pilgrims or we're squatters. And squatters are a problem for neighbors because they don't belong. I say that again. This psalm is about we're either pilgrims or squatters. And squatters are a problem for neighbors because they don't belong. See, since the Christian life is a journey, if we settle here, our neighbors see us as squatters. And they're right. So let's see what that, what that looks like as we unpack God's Word today. So first out, we start out, we have neighbor trouble. It starts out, this psalmist is in trouble. He's been in a tight spot before, and he remembers he's called on God and had help, and so he's going to do it again. He says he's in distress. Distress here is, is more than the idea of being in trouble. It's actually the word for being squeezed or being put in narrows. It's actually where we get our phrase in English, I'm in a tight spot. It's actually from this psalm. That's what the old King James Version. He's in a tight spot. He's in a hard place. He's being hemmed in. Have you ever been in a tight spot? You ever felt like you've been trapped, hemmed in, and you don't know what to do? We're it was a very tough situation, and it just seems like, you know what, the only solution I have is to call out to God. Well, then this psalm is for you. Maybe it's a huge, big deal in your life. Maybe it's a very tiny deal in your life. Like, I have a five-year-old in my household who is so excited for her new Sunday school class, and she got new glasses this week, and so she's so excited to show off her new, new glasses. And last night, she started draining and having a fever, and we're like, I'm sorry, you like, need to be quarantined. You, you can't go to Sunday school in the morning. And she grabbed me and goes, Daddy, you have to pray to God that he would heal me by the, in the morning. And I was like... Presbyterian. Um, so, no, that's not what I said. I, I said, of course I will, but you know, God usually heals you by letting it go for a couple days, but we'll try. So anyway, maybe that's a tough spot. You got to call out to God, or maybe it's like, Lord, I, I'm going to lose everything if you don't fix this. This psalm is for you. So, since we've all been there, let's ask the difficult question. Why does God allow these things to happen to us? Before we jump in, why does God allow such difficulties to happen to us? It's actually why this psalm is here. The answer goes back to what the whole psalm is about, a crossroads. I want you to 
get a mental picture in your head or maybe even a physical picture. I want you to see this picture from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. This point in the journey, the Pilgrim comes to a crossroads, and there's the path, the, the narrow path ascending up, very difficult trail, and to his right and to his left are nice, easy, flat paths, and they have to get around this mountain. And the question is, are we going to walk up the path to a deeper relationship with God? It's not an easy path. Are we going to choose the path of our world and our culture that tell us that life and joy is to be found here, not there? Because see, Christian, we're supposed to be travelers. We're supposed to go up the path, but we like to settle. We like to sit down. We have settled here if we're honest with ourselves. And so we need distress. We need trouble. We need tight spots in our life to make us wake up and realize, I don't belong here. And so, unfortunately, because we fail to learn the lesson, God keeps sending distress after distress to get us to move on instead of settling down. We have to be disappointed. We have to be distressed at the way this world is or we'll never walk up that path. It's just too hard. We will never be real, robust disciples of Jesus Christ unless he brings disappointment that drives us to find something better. And so that's why he does it. I mean, as long as you and I continue to look to the next election and think, maybe that'll make things better. Or as long as we think, well, maybe if I just get a pay raise, the pressure will go off and I can get rid of this anxiety. Maybe I can get rid of the stress if I'll just get, can pay this bill off. Until we stop thinking that something in this world could make our hearts feel better, until we stop thinking like a settler, we're going to keep having disappointments come because the disappointments make us pick up our tent, put it on our back, and walk. Instead of sitting and saying, I like it here. This is nice. We've got to be fed up with the world before we move on. And this psalmist is there. He has had enough of this distress, and so he calls on God in verse 2. He basically says in verse 2, God, save me from liars. Get rid of these liars in my life, Lord. Save me from liars. You know, most of us have learned the little ditty, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Unfortunately, that's a lie, isn't it? doesn't take you very long to find out that's a lie because sticks and stones can break your bones and words can destroy you. If you're in a situation like this psalmist where lies have been spread about you, rarely do you know what was said, right, because you weren't there. But there's a change in the room when you walk in, right? Is that awkwardness where people stop talking all of a sudden, kind of look at you and they're like, uh-oh, been caught. People treat you different and you can just tell what's, what, what's going on. Maybe it's not quite that personal for you. Maybe the lies are different. Why don't you think about how our culture uses the word spin? Or maybe the career of, hope no one's in here, public relations, what that actually means. We, we can dress it up into whatever we want to call it, but it's lies. We live in a culture overrun with lies. We wade through lies daily. And once we recognize the lies all around us and the lies within us during temptation... That's when we call upon God, say, Lord, I am in distress. Get me out of this lying, nasty place. God, rescue me from the lies of the advertisers. 
who keep telling me this is what I want and this is what I need. God, rescue me from the lies of the entertainment industry that keep telling me this is what happiness and joy and fulfillment look like. God, rescue me from the lies of politicians who keep telling me they can make my life better if I just give them a little bit more power. Save us from the lies of religious leaders who tell me that my behavior and my morality make me right with God. See, this isn't just about the psalmist's reputation. There's an intense, deep struggle against lies here. He doesn't just say, as the ESV has it, deliver me. He actually says, deliver my soul. See, this psalmist is saying his very person. His wholeness, his well-being has been attacked. At the very depths of his heart have been attacked. And he needs delivered from this. Boys and girls, look with me at your translation. Let's look together at verse 2. Here's what the psalmist is saying. Save me, Lord, from the liars all around me. They just don't like me for some reason. Boys and girls, have you ever had someone who doesn't like you? Have you ever had... Someone tell a lie about you? It hurts, doesn't it? It's no, it's no good, is it? In that hurt, you know, you can call out to God to save you, and he will answer you. He can help you. And that's exactly what this psalmist does here. The psalmist continues to cry out to God for help, and in verse 3, he basically says, God, what are you going to do about this person? I love that because I have said that. And I bet you have too, haven't you? I have been there and said, you know, sometimes the only thing I can do is just like, Lord, you got to fix this because no one else can. I don't know what's going to happen. You got to do something about this. See, but the psalmist is not finished. Here's where he gets a little carried away. He actually starts to give God a suggestion of what to do. In verse 4, he calls upon God to do violence to this person, to the liars persecuting him. He's, he's venting his anger. I mean, this is a, this is a red raw meat prayer. He feels as if he's been shot by these accusations and lies. So he says, God, shoot him back. Hit him with an arrow. Burn him with a hot coal. Get him. He wants them to feel the pain that he has felt and even more. It's not exactly what we would call a prayer of the upright and godly, is it? There would, there would, be, there would be issues in emails and meetings if during the shepherding prayer, one of our elders got up here and, you know, cried out to God to give someone specifically by name hemorrhoids for something, right? That would be a problem. So, but let's not judge him too harshly because perhaps he's praying more honestly and candidly than we do. We feel this way, but we don't want to tell God about it. I mean, that's, that's you know, arrows and coals, that's violence. You want to hurt somebody. But is it really any different from the emotions you and I felt towards all of Islam because of what a couple people did to a couple journalists in a video the last couple weeks? See, the thing about the Psalms is they are real and they are gritty and they're not very religious. They are red, raw meat prayers from people who actually know God not some idea that we have to placate with the right language and the right behavior. They come before their God and say, this stinks, it's your fault, fix it. Here's an idea, why don't you hurt him? That's what he said. I'm not, yeah. Just because the Bible says it doesn't mean it's being commended, but isn't this a much better way to, prayer, to pray than 
the way we would kind of talk around it and really say, Lord, this person is becoming a hindrance in my life. Will you do something about it? So often we don't want to pray that way. Let the Psalms lead you into real prayer. He's honest with God. Are we that honest with God about the situations? Now, it doesn't mean we're right when we say that person's at fault, but at least we're saying, God, this is how I really feel. Boys and girls, look with me at your verse 3 and 4. Here's how this psalmist is talking to God. Listen to what he says. He says, Do these liars know what's coming to them? What you do to liars? Sting them with your arrows and burn them with your fire. See, boys and girls, you can be honest with God. You don't have to use polite words to make sure God hears you. You can tell God the truth. This person at school is mean to me continually, and I don't like them, and Lord, would you fix it? You can say that. That's what the psalmist does here. He tells God exactly how he feels. And things start to happen when the psalmist gets honest with God in prayer. Things start to change. The lies don't go away, but in that honest praying, God helps the psalmist see things differently. He helps him see that these people were not his enemies. They're his neighbors. And he himself is actually part of the problem because he's supposed to be a pilgrim. But he settled down in their world. He's been squatting in their front yard. And squatters are a problem for neighbors because they don't belong. And so he's starting to get a different understanding. So now the question of the psalm becomes, well, is he a settler or is he a squatter? Look with me at verse 5. Look what he says. He says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Right? You have no idea what that means. I know. It's okay. We'll, we'll fix it together, okay? Meshech and Kedar are names of people groups. They're tribes or nations, we would say. Okay, here's Israel. Meshech is like way far north in modern-day Turkey, even Ukraine area. And the other one, Kedar, is way far south, a wandering tribe of, of Bedouins, Arabic tribe. And basically what he's saying, it, it, it's impossible for he to, him to be in both places. What he's saying is, I am among people who are as different from Israel as different can be. These people are not like me in any way, and it is driving me crazy. Woe to me. I'm in a culture that does not know or like God and doesn't really like his people. To which I would hope we can relate. Because, see, the psalmist's problem is not so much about them and their reaction to him as it is about his reaction to their being different. Here's how we put it for the kids. I want everybody to see this. I think this makes more sense in verse 5. We translate it this way. It says this. It says, I'm so upset because no one around me knows you, God, and I often act just like them. See, he's supposed to be a pilgrim passing through, but he stopped and he settled in a place he doesn't belong. He's not a settler. He's a squatter. He shouldn't be there, and his neighbors know it, and so they say bad things about him. See, he's confessing how difficult it is to live with these people because they're so different in their thinking. They're so different in how they live their life. He says, I'm everywhere but in Israel, yet in spite of that truth, he finds himself thinking and acting just like they do, calling down vengeance upon them. See, in verse 2, he's judging pagans for acting like pagans calling down judgment on him in verse 4 
But in verse 5, he starts to get it. They are more honest with who they really are than he is. They're pagans, and so they act like it. He has not been doing that so much. And that's why he calls out, woe to me. Oh, dear Christian, as you try to bring that out of that ancient text into your life today, you know, you and I should be distressed by our culture. Absolutely. But don't be mad at our culture. We should not be mad at people who don't know any better. See, don't be like our culture in that way. The world hates us. That's right from the Bible. We don't hate them. And yet very often, if we're candid, we, we, we do. We see them as enemies. We see them as adversaries. We see them as the, those, them, and they instead of we, us, right? When we find ourselves hating like they do, we are acting like they do. We need to warn ourselves with verse 5 like he does. And then we need to say like he does, verse 6. Look with me at verse 6. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. Too long. Literally, he says, too long has my soul dwelt with the haters of peace. See, just like in verse 2, he uses the word soul here instead of the word I. He's not just saying, for too long have I had this location. No, he's saying, for too long has my soul been a squatter. For too long has my heart been here. For too long have I been seeking peace and joy and security in this life just like they do. He finally sees it, and so he repents. He realized that his well-being, his life, his soul can never be found in this land whose people don't know God, who hate God, and who hate peace. He's tired of it. He says, I've tried this, and it doesn't work for too long. This is repentance. This is what biblical repentance looks like. It's not an emotion it's not feeling sorry for what you've done. It is a conscious decision to say, this doesn't work. I'm wrong. I'm doing this now. He admits he's here. He admits he's been there for too long. And so now he is going to move on to a different path. That is repentance. Oh, dear flock. The first thing most of us need to do when dealing with being a traveler in this world when looking to having a more robust, real faith this year is to admit that deep down, even though we come to church, even though we are faithful in what we do, that we are not at peace. That inside of our hearts, we are just as anxious and scared and competitive and mean and jealous as our neighbors who do not know Christ. Because we've believed the lies of the advertisers. We've believed the lies of the movies. We have squatted for too long with those who tell us how to live life and omit Christ. Or maybe it's not that profound for you. Maybe you've just been listening to that voice of good old southern church morality. And we have sought peace with our holy God through acting good and being a good citizen and dressing right and being part of the right group of people instead of seeking to know him through Jesus Christ's forgiveness. See, this psalmist has gotten to his too long point. And I wonder how many of us have gotten there yet. Do we see the truth all around us that, that 
what is wrong with this world, what is wrong with our culture, is not just our neighbors, but it's that I am a liar. Do we see that I am in need of God's forgiveness and I am in need of God's grace in the gospel and that is what's wrong with our culture. It's not that they need it. It's that I need it and they need it. See, it's never too late to look around and say, too long. Too long have I judged others who don't know God. Too long have I been angry. Too long at the same time have I been sucking on the world's solutions to these problems instead of looking to what the Bible says. Too long. See, such repentance doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be some big, long sentence. It can be very, very simple, like what he says here, too long. Or here's how we did it for the kids. Boys and girls, look with me at your verse 6. Here's what he says. He says, I'm so tired of thinking and acting like the people who hate you, God. I'm sorry. That's it. Repentance is just that simple, boys and girls. You just tell God you're sorry for trying to ignore him. That's what this psalmist does. He just says, I'm sorry. He realizes he's been a squatter in someone else's front yard. And squatters are a problem for neighbors because they do not belong. So finally he gets to the point where he has to ask himself the question, okay, am I a settler or am I a pilgrim? Which one? He recognizes the problem is not so much with the liars out there. He's repented of that. Now he remembers and confirms. He is a pilgrim. He's not a settler. He's not a squatter. Look with me at verse 7, how he says this. He says, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. See, it's not a complaint. He's recognizing how things actually are. He's not really saying, it it doesn't matter what I say. They always want to pick a fight with me. That's not what he's really saying. It's a statement of identity. It's a statement of fact. He says literally, I am peace. But when I speak, they are at war. See, he gets it now. As God's pilgrim, he is just passing through. And as he passes through, he is the whiff, the smell of God to a world that hates God. He is a whiff of peace to a world that hates peace. His peace, his wholesomeness messes up people who live in a messed up world. See, This is why the Great Commission and evangelism are hard for you and I, right here. Because people are crazy. People are messed up. People are hurt, and hurt people do what? They hurt others. And we have to go out and show the love of God to those crazy, messed up people anyway. And most of them are going to outright hate us or perhaps just dislike us for it. And and we know it, and it's scary, and so we don't. I get it. We don't like to go out and be hated, but that's what this psalmist realizes. Oh, I reek of peace, and people hate peace. No wonder they lie about me and make my life difficult. Thank God I'm a pilgrim, and this world's not my home, but I'm going to love you anyway as I pass through. This is exactly what, the Paul, what Paul told the New Testament church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this to them. He says, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death to the other a fragrance from life to life. You see, if we're part of God, we reek of God, and pagans don't like that smell. And they hate us for it. And 
that's why evangelism is scary because evangelism brings it all. Basically, it's, okay, do you think I smell or do you like this cologne? That's basically what we're doing. And none of us likes rejection, and so we don't do it because it's scary. That's what Paul says. That's what this psalmist says. That's the we have to come to. I am a pilgrim. I am for peace. They're at war. I'm called to be faithful anyway as a pilgrim just passing through. That's a different mentality, isn't it, than most of us actually have. See, dear flock, we're supposed to be in distress. Evangelism is supposed to be hard because we don't belong here and we reek of God to those who do belong here. And so the world's going to hate us because it hates God. Once we get that, then we can make more sense of verse 4 and the violence there. So I want to go back because I kind of just skipped over. I know you have questions. Once we realize what verse 7 is saying about there's two kinds of people, one of them reek of God, one of them hate God, we can go back to verse 4 and make more sense. I'm going to look at verse 4. Look at it, what, what it, verse 4 says with me. It says this. It says, A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. These are metaphors. The Psalms are poetry. They're condensed language. These are metaphors for God's weapons that He uses on the world. The words here in verse 3 and 4 are very familiar. They're actually kind of like an Old Testament formula for a vow. For May this be done unto me if I do not perform kind of vow. And so what He's saying here, Lord, is hold people accountable to their vows. Make what they say be their life. In other words, the arrow is a metaphor for truth. Lord, use your truth on these people. And then burning coals should be familiar to most of us. Proverbs 25, most of you know it. Proverbs 25, 21, 22 says what? It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Burning coals is what? The loving actions of God's people. So Lord, attack him with your truth and then send in your loving people to fix them. That's what he calls down for on these liars. We are to love and serve those who hate us for smelling like God. We fight the evil in this world with God's weapons of truth and love. No matter what that hating culture throws back at us, we are for peace, they're at war. We don't get mad at it, we just accept it. We're for peace, they're at war. We don't get mad at it. We just accept it and love them anyway. But, 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 and please let your Facebook pages reflect verse 7 more than verse 4, please. Okay? So, but see, we only do that when we recognize that what? We're liars in need of forgiveness too. And that God came to us as a liar and gave us the weapon of truth and love. And he slayed our resistance, made us his own, and adopted us. And so because he's used those weapons so effectively on us, we want to go use those weapons on others. Once you get that, then you're like, I know you're mad at me, it's okay. You see, when we live as Christians, when we speak and live the truth in love, it will bring out the reality of who is who in this world. The reality of verse 4 is that God's people speaking and living in love for their pagan neighbors brings this issue to a climax. True, truth and love are God's arrows and coals that finally determine who people are. So I want to conclude one more time with the same picture we started with, with Bill, uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. 
the psalmist presents two paths to us. The upward path of the pilgrim traveling a difficult road of faith and worship or the path of the world that hates God and looks for the easy way out and it lashes out at those who smell like him. Which path are we going to choose? Oh, if you know Jesus Christ, dear Christian, are you walking up the path or have you pitched your tent in the world's front yard? Be honest with yourself. Do you ever wonder why even though you go to church, even though you're faithful in so many things, you still feel stressed and unsettled? You don't have peace. It's because you're a squatter. You're trying to find peace and happiness in this world and then add Jesus on the side, and that's not going to work. That's the wrong path. Recognize what you are, if that's you, and say, too long. And then put yourself back on the path of looking to Jesus Christ alone in faith. And you too can be of peace, and he will make you whole again. And if you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus can give you peace. He can do that for you. Turn to him and believe. He doesn't promise you a bed of roses, but he does promise you his peace and his love will be with you. Repent of all the ways you're trying to find happiness in this world and simply place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And do it now. And you can be on this hard path, but it's a good path. It's a path of peace. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your psalms, Lord, these rugged, raw prayers of real people struggling with real life. And Lord, we confess that we don't pray like that. Would you forgive us for that, Lord? Would you help us to be, from this moment on, candid and honest with you in our prayers? Lord, would you help us to see ourselves who know you, those of us who know Christ, as your weapons of truth and love in this world? Would you help us to use those weapons well of speaking the truth and then serving in love? Lord, if we're going to be honest, let's be honest with you. Lord, we're really good at the speaking the truth part. We like that part. It makes us feel powerful. We're, we're not so good at the living and serving and love people who are so different. Lord, would you help us do that? We're sorry. Would you help us be more like Christ? and really love people who are different. Lord, we ask that you would do your work of truth and love in our own hearts. Make us more like Christ. Give us pilgrim hearts seeking to know him. Help us once again to place our faith and trust in him. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.